and my only goal is to evolve, you know, to evolve with the world and not to fall asleep uh, because it's easy to fall asleep. So just continue walking and I don't know in which, which path exactly. Welcome, everybody. I am Susie Menkes, editor of Vogue International at Condé Nast, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Marine Sayre is a fashion prophet age 28, who appears to have seen the future and expressed it in clothes. How could she have envisioned a collection that included images of flames well before the terrifying Australian fires and also masked the faces of models pre-pandemic? From her early collections when she first invented her manic sewing machine, the young French woman, raised in the countryside and trained at a Belgian fashion school, offered two striking statements clothes remade from scrabbling through bags of unused fabrics, and fashion symbols melded with Arabian elements, especially the crescent moon mixed with futuristic signs. Marine's first collection, A Radical Call for Love, for winter 2017, was created while she was working at Balenciaga. Then she won the prestigious LVMH Prize, with Rihanna handing her the award and Karl Lagerfeld cheering her on. For her winning collection, displayed on the eighth floor of her tiny one-bedroom Paris apartment, Marine used the skills she inherited from her grandfather's brocante or flea market to catch the attention of Adrian Joffe, CEO of Comme Garcins and Dover Street Market. The eco-futurists' collections have attracted an ever-growing following. With a new approach to design and production, around 50% of her seasonal styles are made from regenerated products. Upcycling the lowly into the exceptional, Marine's work is impressive for its joyous sense of colour, her inclusive attitude and the sheer pace of development. It has been a tumultuous ride, shared by the designer's small team, her partner in business and life and with the help of her sister. Marine Sayre has shaken up fashion with her strong, clear and determined vision gentle and powerful at the same time. Let's all hear her story. Maureen, I'm beginning to see you as a fashion prophet, and I don't mean that in a jokey way, but something much more profound. When I sat on the ground on an old woven rug, watching models come out dressed in face masks against a black vision of burning flames, it seemed eerie then, but now, but now, did you really imagine this whole story of a COVID-driven world at the very beginning of 2020? Or am I exaggerating? Um, I mean, I think what you see was real, for sure. Uh, what you have seen during the show. Uh, but I think the, anyone else than me could have 
imaginate or not even imaginate but see that coming and on that sense I think that we all will have been able to see this thing and it's about looking at the reality where we were uh, on all together already before you know the COVID-19 happened so I don't feel that you know, that I predicted anything on the sense that I think it was already coming. And there I meant to say that it's maybe about, you know, like we, when things were going so fast and I think for everyone on this world and certainly in the fashion world and what we miss the most is to take the time to confront ourselves with the reality. And I think that to be able to predict or to talk about the future, we have to be able to look at the present. Like, I mean, not like just look, but just, you know, react and feel and, and keep our eyes open. So this is how I feel. And this is also what I tried uh, in, in all my show at any time, starting from Radical Call for Love, the feeling that I tried to share with you and with everyone that was at the show was the same. It was a feeling of almost in between um, making a retranscription, retranscription of what I was feeling or what we were feeling. And also, of course, with a part of imagination that was based on what was happening on the present to kind of, um, you know, see or imagine what our close future is going to be. One thing that I'm interested in is the way that you've been repurposing clothes and fabrics as though you had a real feeling that there's a lot of wastage and that we should think about that. But the way you've thought about it has been in a very beautiful way. You've taken things like scarves that had never been used and you found them somewhere, I suppose, stored up and you turned them into outfits. What actual percentage of what you do Maureen, is a remake. And where do you find the vintage fabrics? Uh, 50% of, for example, the last collection, Mind Melange Motor, uh, on the show. Uh, so 50% of the look, at least, uh, were uh, made from upcycled fabric. Uh, now we call it regenerated, uh, you know, in the brand. And um, uh, it's really simple, you know. We are trying to find fabric close to us. So we go to, of course, to France, we go to uh, Holland, we go to Germany, and we are just trying to go on the way as close as possible. We go there, we open huge plastic bag. Uh, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes you see a little piece of tissue going out of the plastic bag or the huge plastic bag. And then, or you see sometimes even in transparency through the bag. And then uh, we are asking the guys that are from this place, okay, let's, let's get this bag there. I'm sure, you know, the color look good or the material look good. I'm sure we can do something with that. And basically we are just searching with my team there and being like, you know, like child a bit. <laughs> attract by things and then taking them up and of course uh, this is the really nice moment of it but after come the more difficult moment where you have to transform that into a garment but that's still kind of easy because it's what I like to do so there is like draping and trying of course to cut um, as less as possible so we don't have waste also even when we upcycle the fabric so otherwise it will not make any sense so how did you transform then something that already have a shape into another shape so how are you going to cut it and how are you going to drape it and how are you going to mix it with other things and then let's say that the most hard part is after when these have to be explained to a factory 
so to people that are used to receive rule of tissue. And there you have to explain them that actually you are not going to give them so much a pattern, but you are going to give them a process, uh, you know, that they have to maybe twist the fabric or cut the side of the piece. And then that will become their pattern on the way. So there we are, you know, now after two and a half years, we have started to build a kind of a family uh, and, uh, you know, really important people for us in the factory that are really understanding our point of view and that have also been supporting us on the beginning when basically, you know, no one knew what we were doing and they were like, are you sure you want to work like that? It's going to be hard. And then I said, yeah, I'm sure it's going to work. I love it. Let's go. And then finally, they kind of believe in that. And now they are, of course, super happy because we are able to grow all together. And um, yeah, and so I will say that there is the, the hugest challenge is to make production. And when I talk about production there, uh, you know, it's small production. It's like 50 piece, maximum 100 piece. And all of them are unique so um yeah i mean for me it makes a lot of sense to create like that in the in the world that we are in today you know you you sound always so modest about these things you do but it's pretty amazing and there have been some other amazing things that series of awards that you won um 2017 the lvmh prize that must have been quite a moment. It was quite a moment for us watching when you went up on stage and Rihanna presented you with your award. And Karl Lagerfeld said to me afterwards that you were so far ahead of any other designer and he was really speaking up for you. Did Karl become a kind of protector for you? Yeah, I think uh, Karl was really important uh, for me because, I don't know, like, I do not know him at all before. And the first thing he told me was something really funny about my name, you know, that Ser actually mean like kind of hug. In If you try to say it in English, I was making a joke about that, like we are going to kind of hug Marine. And then I was like, oh my God, this is Karl Lagerfeld talking to me. And he's saying that. And then I really like it because I thought it was, you know, so simple and, and also really, yeah, just really light. And, and yeah, and, you know, like it was also really nice seeing that, you know, someone like him that I've been in the industry for so long that I've been able to always be ahead of his time and, and, and be so, I don't know, like so much in the time and so much driving also. And, and for so long, it's quite, it's quite amazing. I don't think you have two that have made things like that. And of course, when you start like me, I mean, I was maybe not a child, but I was really young. And then you have someone like Carl talking to you and, and that you can, you know, talk and feel close with uh, you know, other people that you admire and that make, you know, for some of them really make you start. And then that the barrier is not so, or the distance in between you two is not so big anymore. It's really encouraging because you just also really feel like, okay, we are just both human. We are both making garments and it just feels good. And I think this is what I felt with him. I felt something really humble that I really, really like. And uh, yeah, and then I felt also really you know, uh, in confidence then um, with with them during the LVMH Prize, because for sure it was a really stressful moment to present your work. And uh, and you don't have a lot of time. If I remember well, it was like something like 15 minutes. 
They don't even ask you question. You are coming in the room. It's a huge silence. And then you have to just tell who you are in 15 minutes in front of all these people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was... I have a really good um, memory of this moment. And, uh, and for what is of the price after, honestly... I was just, as I already told, I think I was so surprised. I was really not thinking it will be me. I was drinking a cup of champagne already, but because I was already so happy to have participated. <laughs> so, you know, I was like almost not going up because I was maybe thinking, you know, that they, they maybe misspelled the name or something like that. You see, it's what I say. You're, you're a very modest person. Um, I know you, you're partner in personal and business life with, um, I, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, Pepine van Eden. Is that right? Yeah, it's like Pepine van Eden. Would you say that it's imperative to have a business helper to succeed in fashion? Or in your case, it's also a creative partnership. And doesn't your sister also work with you? You've become a family brand overnight. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, uh, my sister is also uh, working with us now on the finance part. And uh, yeah, and Pepin is with me, uh, you know, since the LVMH prize. And, and, you know, we were already a couple much before the prize. So we were both working with each other a lot and influencing each other's work. He was doing a, a PhD in political science. And um, and we have inspired each other a lot, you know, to, to grow as a person, as to grow later on in, in what's happened with the brand. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone can arrive alone. Clearly not. It's totally impossible. Or then uh, I'm happy to see who can. But it's so important, you know. It's so important to have... Uh, you know partners and people you you trust and and it's it's really difficult i mean every day is is tough you are questioning yourself on everything that you do the fashion in itself is um is not an easy place to be you know i mean uh, sometimes you doubt if is what you should exactly do uh you know shall you continue to or shall you even start making garment? That was the first thought I have uh, after the LVMH prize. I was thinking, okay, if I do a brand uh, and then now I have this chance, I want to do something that I am proud of and that I can stay there for at least 10 years and maybe 50 or maybe 80 years. And you don't want to, you really want to be driven by what you do. And I think the chance that I had there um, with, with the prize, you know, I, I was really serious about being engaged with what I was doing, otherwise do not make any sense. And uh, and of course, you know, my sister was at the time not working with us inside the brand, but already, you know, supporting me since I was like 14 years old, uh, being my first model, actually trying the horrible dress I made at the time. And uh, and Pepin was one of my first supporters to to really believe in, in what I was doing. And and this is really important. And of course, he, he learned me also a lot of things that that you know, that things that I do not know about political science or history. And that, of course, uh, bring a lot to the to the brand today. So, you know, for me, I see that, I mean, maybe it sounds a little bit naive, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I have passed maybe now three years and of course, even more, even before working on building this brand and this become you know, this become also my life. And if you are not able to look at 
that into the ice and feel good about it, then it will not work. So yes, it's also become my family. And there also to said, uh, you know, of course, Pepin and Justine are super important, but also all the team that I'm now working with. Uh, and some people are also starting to be there for quite some time, become extremely important in what the brand is. And I think I have the chance to have extremely driven people that have started working with us. And this is the, you know, this is what makes you continue also. Of all the people I've seen launch themselves, I have never seen somebody pick up a symbol so quickly, so immediately. I'm talking, of course, about your crescent moon. It's such a classic oriental symbol. And it's become a marker for your work in a way that's really, I think, very rare for a young designer. It also raises deep questions about symbolism in a world torn by ethnicity and religion. Do these nuances of Arabia form a message from you? I think what is the most important in this symbol, as you said, is that it's, um, you know, it's not mine. It's just, it's just a symbol of everyone. And what is important for me is that exactly as you were saying, it's, it's like opening all the boundaries of all the symbolic that are everywhere in our life today. And that's why I thought after Hadikol Love, where actually the moon was a really a symbol of the collection, that I wanted to keep it because it was really actually, and it's still a really radical call for love when I'm using this moon and I just feel that it's the right symbol. So one of your recent collections was called the Manic Soul Machine. I get the message in those words about a pre-COVID period of manic machine, too much, too much. But where does the soul part come in? Um, yeah, I mean, when I was searching for the title, I mean, manic is, as you said, something not really difficult to understand because we are all in. Machine was clearly also you know, the machine that we are in, but the machine that we are as human. But I could not imagine to propose a show that was called Manic Machine. I don't think will have fit with either my work or either the team or either what we were doing. And the soul is really important because the soul is, is something that is maybe, you know, a bit more difficult to understand that where also all your feeling come from. And sometimes this feeling you cannot really understand, but they are they are really there. They are really driving you. So this soul, I think, yeah, come from, I don't know, maybe your belly or your brain or your earth. I don't know. But it comes from, I think, the energy of the body. And I think we all have this and, and we all, uh, um, you know, we all feel it. This, this is more what I mean, not that we all have it, but we all want to feel that. And, and it's, yeah, it's just part of us. And uh, even if we don't understand everything, I could not imagine to have, a, for example, give this title without mentioning the soul there. Let's go back, Marie, to the beginning. 
although you're not even 30 years old yet. It's, it's a bit different from talking to Carl and his 50 years in fashion. Um, but how did it all start before you won the um, first Galerie Lafayette grant, I think, at the, uh, for the uh, Year International Design Festival? And then you were, as we've just been saying, the top choice at LVMH Award. And both of those were in 2017. And I know your roots when you were in your teens. You were in rural France in the Corrèze district. And I think then you were very sporty, weren't you, and won sports awards. How did you get from tennis to fashion? It's a bit of a long story, I feel, but I will try to do it short. I mean, everything you said is, is right. Like, uh, I have, uh, you know, I grew up in the countryside uh, in a village of uh, three houses, and then I started tennis quite early. Uh, then I make a competition in tennis. Um, then, of course, I was going to school and so on. And then actually, when I was 13 years old, I quit my parent place to go to an art school. Um, and I had to go a bit far because, of course, when you are so far removed and you don't have art school so close by. So I had to travel one and a half hour. And so then I was um, in the internat. So I was only coming back to my parents in the weekend. And to, to try to explain you where, I mean, the link with fashion start, I think it's even actually before my 13, but it's around this time, I would say, like as an adolescent, you are searching for your identity. You just want to know who you are, in which world you are living. You have been having all kind of habitudes given by your family or by, you know, by the people around you and by just life. And uh, already I was having at the same time the kind of countryside look really utilitarian to help my dad walking in the garden. But then I also had the super... A tennis look where you have to look, you know, super clean. And, and uh, certainly if you go to competition, you know, you tied your hair, you have a certain, a certain look. And then I also had the, the school look where you are an adolescent like every other one and that you are trying to, to know who you are. So I already kind of, I think, really like or yeah, enjoy this hybridity in, in, you know, what an adolescent or what any person is. And I think I start playing with that quite early. And this is how I think my relation with fashion starts. Like I start buying garments. Most of them, I mean, actually all of them were from my mom, my dad, my granddad or from Brocante. But I actually don't know what's the English word for that. Uh, let me think. Flea market. Right. Yeah, because my granddad was actually a, a brocanteur. And then I was just getting to second hand shop all the time, trying to find pieces. And um, so my first attraction was really to garment itself, not so much to actually like fashion or fashion show or things like that, but really the garment. And then, you know, I was mixing things already that I, I felt, I mean, not, not at the time, but now I know that it felt strange for people. <laughs> sometime for my dad they were like okay what's that look that she's trying to assemble today and I was already you know like cutting them and embroidering them or making uh, dyeing them in other colors and then trying to build a kind of something with that until I get a really really huge garderobe actually so I think at 15 years old I had a full room of shoes and garments and everything was second hand and actually the, the story there is that I had to sell them all uh, when I was in my fourth year in La Cambre in Belgium, because I do not have money anymore. And uh, 
you know, like when you are in the fashion school, people look how you are, you know, how you dress up and so on. And then I basically put a message on my Facebook. I said, okay, everyone, I am going to sell all my garments. Please come. And then I organize a kind of brocante in my house in Brussels. And then I sell everything in two days. And I made enough money to continue my fourth year. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> So, so here you are, dedicated already to fashion at your young age. And then you must have applied to uh, the Lacan, a Belgian fashion school. And presumably that is what drove you forward. You said you had to pay for the, the last year of it. But I, I don't quite know the time frame of it all. But you went on with some striking internships. You went with, to Alexander McQueen, uh, Christian Dior Couture, when Ralph Simmons was the creative force. You were at Maison Martin Margiela and uh, Balenciaga with um, Demna Gavoslavia. That's a whole raft of leading brands. I can't help feeling that very few young designers would get this. I'm sure you're too modest to say that. But it's pretty amazing to think that simultaneously to all this that I've just said, you were juggling the start of your own brand. How did you manage to take on so much? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really enjoy myself at this, all of this internship. And I think what is really right is that I learn a lot. I learn a lot. I don't think I could do what I am doing today if I would not have done all that internship. Uh, it was really like being a little mouse into, as you said, like a huge house. And I was really volunteer. I was all the time really volunteer to learn. And I really wanted to learn, 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 learn a lot. So I think, you know, I was all the time, you know, most of the time when you go to internship, they tell you, okay, uh, fine, you can come then. But it's all the time going on your holiday time. Like, it's just, you cannot just have both, like going to really nice internship and make sure that you are going to have holiday in the sea. So every time I choose for the internship and and it was the right choice, uh, even when, you know, some of my internship was, of course, really hard. And, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, you have to find a room in London and so on. It was really, really difficult. <laughs> but I'm super happy I went through that times and each of them learned me a lot. And uh, yeah, and I, of course, I was also really lucky to to meet all these amazing designer to to see them work uh, even like you know how the team are constructed it was really nice you know to see the atelier and to see the timeline how how things were produced and how things were made and when you are at school you have no clue about that and just to to embrace that just you know make you unconsciously think about how you can build build things and yeah and and that was just really really great and I was already really passionating about it so I'm happy. <laughs> and one person who talked about you very early on was Adrian Joffe, the um, president and CEO of Dover Street Market and of course of Comme des Garçons. He picked you up right at the start of your career and he is in the business I would say that the person with the sharpest mind and the sharpest eyes. Did you have to learn a lot about turning a concept into clothes to sell 
And was it Adrian who helped you? I mean, you've just told me that you sold off your entire wardrobe. So perhaps you also have skills in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm really involved also, of course, uh, you know, in building the, you know, the, whatever the price or the way I'm, I'm talking about the garment. And I also really believe that, of course, fashion is about garment, but it's also about, uh, you know, a, a kind of um, talk or or a kind of exchange, you know, it's like a conversation. So I always liked that already really early on. I, so, you know, when I talk about my adolescence and that I wanted to dress up in a certain way, it was also to tell something about you know, who I wanted to be. And I, I like to play with that. And I think, of course, uh, if I come back to Adrian, Adrian was really important for me because, uh, well, first of all, uh, you know, he's one of the most humble person I ever met. So, you know, he came to my flat. Uh, I had no time. I, you know, I had a, I had to work a lot in Balenciaga at the time. And he came in my super tiny bedroom, actually, where I moved all my personal garment to put the collection on. And, uh, and he just bought everything, like every single thing. And it was, it was a really great feeling because most of the buyers, they will buy maybe three or four dresses. But then he came and said, yeah, you know what? I'm buying everything. I'm buying the shoes. I'm buying the headband. I'm buying this. I'm buying that. So, okay, but you really like everything. And and then, yes. And of course, from that on, we, you know, we start to, to meet more. And, and, you know, I remember one day, uh, yeah, like, you know, we had to, of course, speak about the price. I have no, no clue uh, at the time that actually I should make money on that. And that's what he also told me, yeah, Marine, you're not going to survive, you know, if, if you do not win anything from that, that old collection. And then I was like, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. That, that's, that's how it should work. And then, you know, of course, like after that, uh, what was great is that, you know, for the first time, actually the first time I went to New York, it was cause, uh, Dover Street Market invited me there. So, I mean, I was there. Do you remember? I showed up. Yeah, 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 you were there. And Adrian said to me, here's one not to miss. I want to show you. And he took me up all those stairs and um, we came and we found you there. Yeah. And, you know, I was really shy. I was I was like, yeah, I, I was not exactly knowing in which city I was. And, and no, it was, was really great. So, you know, it, it just, I don't need to explain it. I think it showed itself that this relationship in between you know, someone that uh, believe in your work, that of course have the possibility to open uh, doors for you, and and it's it's a great proof of you know of trust and 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 respect also from the work. So it's yeah, it was just really amazing moment for me. at finding names for your shows. I remember hardcore couture, that's pretty strong. But even more than the names, there are the ways that you seem to portend real life in what you do. That burning psychedelic moon seems like a forerunner to those terrifying Australian fires. I, I keep thinking of that picture of what you showed us in my head. And the... Um, the face covers, what about that, covering the faces that you showed and now they're part of our everyday lives? Are you afraid of present and future? 
Do you think that perhaps you're a fashion prophet? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can just, you know, tell you that, yeah, I'm just not afraid. I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk and be honest uh, about what I see and to, to you know, I, I just feel like, Sometimes, like, I just feel like a sponge and that I, I am taking or feeling things um, around us and then giving them a form. And it's just a kind of talk and an exchange. And what's the, you know, the, to, sh to show or to answer to you, for example, what is the most important for me when I do a show, when I do a collection is exactly what we are doing today or um you know when when uh, the followers are reacting to the collection and and people are like starting to actually start the conversation and almost the conversation starts after the show you know like saying oh but i really like this um you know i felt really connected with this uh um for example head cover and this is all this thing that 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 make you feel that you know, that you are starting an exchange. And and this is part, I think, of the evolution. So at the end, I think my only goal is to evolve, you know, to evolve with the world and not to fall asleep uh, because it's easy to fall asleep. So just continue walking. And I don't know in which which path exactly, <laughs> but, but I hope, you know, what I like is also not to be alone, I think. Well, this is a strange time that we're making this conversation because... For all the people I've talked to the, for the podcasts, I've asked them, do you think this sudden stop has given our fashion industry an opportunity to slow down? You've just been talking about the idea of trying to fit everything in and the speed of churning out shows is overwhelming to everybody. Do you think it's right that we should, in these terrible circumstances, maybe stop, take a breath and reassess the way we operate? Yeah, Totally. I mean, uh, you know, fashion is one, it's just super fast. It's really exhausting. Um, I'm sure a lot of people already lose their mind there. You know, it's, 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 it's so violent also, I think, the way that, that we were all needing to do so much. And it's almost like more you do, more, you know, people recognize you while, yeah, no, I'm sorry, but that's not the way it, sh it should go. And uh, I mean, I was, of course, you know, talking this week with all kind of other designer and, and we, I think, all feel the same. And it's not even about designer. I think it's also about, about you, Susie, and, and, you know, also the retailer. I mean, we are tired. We want to see good things. We don't want to see just things that we already see like, like two days ago. And, and, and we just want to feel. And I think the, the, the great thing and the great opportunity on the way that, that this tragic moment I've given to us is the obligation to stop and it's like everyone has to stop and we are not even in control of the fact that we have to stop it's like a kind of coming from the from the earth <laughs> and and I think th this we have to take it as a chance because um you know what I'm worried is that of course this is not normally not going to happen again and when are we going to have this time to actually reflect and to think about what we are doing and to see and to look at the the word, you know, in the eyes and, and seeing that actually a lot of the things that we were doing were, were not really coherent. And I think this is really what I felt during this moment is that 
when you are so busy, you know, it's almost like a machine. You be, you are more the machine than the soul, you know. And I, I feel it's about finding a balance there. And for example, you know, what I will like on my side is that maximum we do two show uh, a year. Uh, that uh, people don't need to travel all the time for show that maybe men and women uh, show and couture will be all at the same time so that you, Suzy, can come only two times a year, tranquil, take your time, enjoy the show. And then, you know, and then of course we can call and we can Zoom, like, like you know, like today. And I feel it's totally fine today to do that. We have enough connectivity and digital tools to do that and if we want i think to to be more respectful with the environment that we are living in but even to more respectful to ourselves and make sure that we have enough time to create and to think because the problem now is that you know the the way we create and think is far too fast and uh yeah so i think we should take that as a precious chance and and when we are starting again really soon because of course it's apparently looking like that we we have to we have to be careful i feel we have to be careful and we have to you know to see that it's precious and um and also that we have i think to do that all together i hope that we'll have at least make this like global understanding of the world that we are all living in and yeah. By the way, I'd like to tell you that I love going to fashion shows and I shall be most disappointed if they don't come back. Good ones, of course. But I don't think that anything can beat a show out there like the one that you gave when we all sat in the pouring rain looking out over the um, over the side. And um, I got home soaked, but I was so inspired by your show, I didn't even notice. Um, but what about you? What about this forced period of staying at home for you? Have you discovered pleasures that you haven't had time for before, or past or present? Have you watched old movies, or have you been reading or sketching? Or, to be honest, is it for you about catching up with yourself and moving on at a reasonable speed? Um, I think, yeah, I think the speed is some, one of the first things that I will say. Uh, of course, you know, like building a company uh, into an half year and now we are about 60 people. Uh, clearly, it was not like if I ever have time to rest before. <laughs> so uh, on the way, I cannot lie that it, it's quite nice because, of course, I'm still working a lot. And I even feel I'm, I've maybe even worked more, but in, in a totally over speed, of course, without having no transport and no traveling and only contact on the way with, you know, with my team or then with interviewer. But it's something, I don't know, like the, the, the time, the time space, I feel a bit longer and, and I felt I have more time to, yeah, to, I have more time to do things because, just life is disturbing you all the time and you don't have the time to really concentrate. And uh, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, that I feel during these days. And also, you know, take the time also to, yeah, to connect with people, actually. I felt like I never have been so close, maybe, of, you know, of people because I had more time. You know, when someone called before, I had five minutes because I have another people to call after and so on and so on. And now I could pass half an hour, one hour, and this is great to let the time being loose. I think that's what I enjoy maybe the most during this time. Marine Sir, you are fashion future and I'm pleased and proud to have been talking to you and enjoy this period of peace and calm. Oh, thank you, Susie, for... Uh, 
being here and、uh, being so supportive of my work since the beginning. So, thanks a lot. So, Maureen, the one thing I hope for you is that somebody at home has made lunch for you, so that you can go off and relax. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> I will have a look. <laughs> Marine, thank you so much for spending time with me. So interesting to learn what went into growing your own brand, your internships, your prizes, and further back the influence of your grandfather's second-hand clothes stores, and of course your own endless passion and work ethic. I also enjoyed hearing about your relationship with Karl Lagerfeld, and how he became almost a mentor figure for you. Thank you all so much for joining us for our fifth episode. I'm enjoying connecting with you through my podcasts, and I hope you are too. As the world continues in the fight against COVID-19, we are continually thankful to all the healthcare and key workers around the world, and the many in our industry who continue to work together to help protect our doctors, nurses, and frontline workers in the fight against the disease. I'm sure you'll all join me as we thank them. For their continual work, I hope you will join me next week when I'll be in conversation with Netta Portes, Federico Marchetti. Until next week, on behalf of Condé Nast, I would like to wish you all and Marine Sayer and her team a safe and healthy week ahead. If you would like to find out more about our conference. Please do visit cniluxury.com to find my articles. Visit the fashion channel of vogue.co.uk and at Susie Mankey's Vogue on Instagram. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, and many others. Support for Creative Conversations podcast. Comes from the Condé Nast Luxury Conference. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan and edited by Tim Thornton. Music by Jörg Zuber. Graphics by Paul Wallace. And production assistance by Lauren Sweeting. <laughs>